Hello everyone, this is John Rawlings speaking, pastor of the Landmark Baptist Temple and director of the Landmark Hour broadcast. It's always a pleasure of mine to introduce our special guest speaker today, since he is so well known in the valley and throughout the Midwest and around the world. Dr. B.R. Lincoln, a friend of many years, and a man I consider as the prince of preachers in our generation. You people here at Landmark Temple and our vast Landmark Hour radio audience have had the honor and privilege of sharing in Dr. Lincoln's ministry through more than 30 years. I'm grateful for the great anointing of God upon this man. He has meant so much to me and so very much to ministers across this nation. Recently, a young preacher said to me, Reverend Rawlings, I'm a better preacher because of my association with Dr. B.R. Lakin. I heard him the first time on the Landmark Hour broadcast. And he went ahead to say that he had learned much about the preaching of the gospel of the grace of God through Dr. Lakin. I said the other day to some friends of mine uh, that uh, for pure preaching uh, from the heart and with great anointing from God, Dr. Lakin is that man in our generation. Therefore... It's my pleasure to introduce to you, dear people, at Landmark, our Landmark, our radio family, and to thousands of others who will hear this message on beautiful stereo album. After this message and song, the next voice you'll hear will be Dr. Lakin. Oh, 
Thank you, Dr. Rollins. I, it's always a joy to be in Landmark Baptist Temple. I appreciate your kindness and the prayers of this great church. I trust this message on the rapture will be a blessing to you and yours and to the many we trust will hear it on record. The rapture of the church. I, I'd like to call your attention today to this scripture found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, this passage of inspirational scripture from the pen of the Apostle Paul announces what to me is one of the most glorious events in the future history of the church, namely the rapture. Many people, I think, miss the blessing of the prophetic utterances in the Bible when they think of Christianity as being merely a way of life or a noble philosophy and the proper manner of living. They do not realize that God has a plan, comprehensive program for his people, the church. I spoke to a man not so long ago, and I said, do you believe in the second coming of the Lord? And he said, oh yes, I believe in the Lord's coming, but I do not have any plan. I do not have any program. Well, they thus evade the joy of Christian expectancy for the future. All of the things which the future holds for God's people are foretold by the prophetic writers of the New Testament. And this jewel of prophetic truth that we're discussing today, which Paul gave to the church at Thessalonica, shines the hope of the Christians of all ages, the blessed hope of Christ's return. And how I could spend a long, long time talking to you today about why it's known as the blessed hope. But we'll confine ourselves now to the word, rapture. Rapture is not found in the New Testament, the word rapture, but the doctrine of the rapture of the church is clearly outlined, both by Jesus himself and the other writers of sacred writ. Just as the word atonement is scarcely mentioned in the New Testament, yet its doctrine is clearly and unmistakably outlined. So also is the doctrine of the rapture definitely set forth in the word of God. Now, the word rapture, according to Webster, simply means the act of being transported or a fact of being transported. Now, this noun is derived from the adjective rapt, which means to be lifted by some supernatural force and transported as in spirit or to another place. There are many interpretations of the meaning of the rapture. Some of them do not harmonize with the true teaching of the word of God. Some contend that death is the rapture. In fact, some contend that the only second coming of the Lord is death. But when the spirit leaves the body and returns to God, that is, they say that is the rapture of the saints. But this does not align itself with the text we have chosen for our discussion, for it says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds. Now, one cannot be alive and dead at the same time. The people who hold to this theory of death being the second coming or being the rapture say that death is the second coming of Christ. But at death, Christ does not come for the soul of the saint. But the soul of the saint goes to be with Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. We are confident, I say, and willing 
rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, when a person is saved, others say when a person is saved, that's the second coming of Christ. But the scripture does not bear out that theory. Isaiah said to the sinner, Isaiah 55, 7, Let the wicked forsake his ways, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now this passage obviously is an invitation to the unsaved. And it says that he must return unto the Lord. Salvation is the sinner coming to Christ. It's not Christ coming to the sinner. Because he said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. He says, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He says in another place, you will not come to me that you might have life. No, the rapture is the second coming of Christ indeed. is just as literal and definite as any portion of his first coming. And the church has had a bloody past, but she has a glorious future. She's been persecuted, maltreated, martyred, but God has planned a brilliant future for the church. God has not forgotten his people. The world may scoff, ridicule, and malign the Christians, but God will avenge the saints in due season, because he said, Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. God has given us in the Old Testament some prefigures of the rapture. Genesis 3 and 16, he said, speaking to the serpent, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And there's where the great conflict began, between Christ and Antichrist. And he says, It shall bruise thy head. Thou shalt bruise his heel. The seed of the serpent will be the Antichrist. And the seed of the woman is Christ. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross, they drove the nails through his feet. And thus his feet was bruised. It was the sin ushered in by Satan that caused him to be bruised. He will bruise Satan's head and will finally cast him into the bottomless pit. Where we will be sure, where you will be shorn of his power. It will bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. In Genesis we read, in Genesis we read about Enoch. Enoch was the man who walked with God, didn't walk in front of God, didn't walk behind God, but he walked with God. And one day he walked so close to God. God said, Enoch, come up and spend the day with me. And he went up to spend the day and has never been seen back on the earth because they have no night there. In the midst of a generation that was sinful and lawless, Enoch alone chose to walk with God. I said, not ahead or behind, but close by his side. And someone has appropriately said that Enoch took a long walk with God. One day they were so close to heaven that God said, Enoch, you might as well come on in and spend the day. Enoch walked right into heaven with God. And because there is no night, I said, he has never returned. He walked with God and simply was not. Now that's a peculiar way. Uh, that's a peculiar way of, dis of describing the disappearance of a person from this earth. To just say he was not. That's all. Uh, in fancy, I can see the family of Enoch gathered at the threshold of the home, gazing over the plain with expression of anxiety upon their faces. 
the father says, his father says, I wonder where Enoch has gone. He's never stayed away like this before. He's never stayed away this long before. But I'm not concerned about him. Enoch has always been a good boy. Enoch will return. He'll be back. I think another member of the family said, well, I heard him talking to himself the other day. And the fact of the matter, I heard him humming a little tune. And as a little tune like this, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My home is far beyond the blue. Listen, his mysterious disappearance baffled them. Don't you imagine the authorities or the board of missing persons sent out bulletins about the disappearance of Enoch? And when the authorities came to inquire of his whereabouts, the family simply said, Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. The people who walk with God today are looked upon as a little peculiar. They're misunderstood by the children of this world. But when in the day of his coming for his own, they mysteriously disappear, those who remain will be no less baffled than were the kinsmen of Enoch when he was raptured out of this world. I want us to notice the positive statements in the text. The Lord himself, not death. The Lord himself, not conversion. The Lord himself, not the conversion of the world. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven, a personal. And I think he will descend from heaven just as personally as he went away. He went away, they watched him disappear. And when he comes the second time, every eye shall see him. Skeptics may hoot at this precious truth. Modernists may scoff at the preaching of his coming, and the world may jeer at the crowd who love his appearing, and they may call us a little strange. But in spite of all this, the Lord himself shall descend. There are pre three precious truths about the rapture that I would like for you to notice. Number one, number one, I want you to notice, I'd like for you to notice these three precious truths in the word of God. In the word of God, someone has appropriately said, listen, in the word of God, the rapture will be instantaneous. The people of Hiroshima, Japan, never dreamed that they, that they would be the victims of the first atomic bomb. People went to work on the morning of that tragic day, light-hearted and carefree as usual. I think if some fanatic had dared to run through the streets as usual, if some fanatic had dared to run through the streets shouting, Prepare to meet God for this day, Hiroshima will be destroyed. The police would no doubt have arrested him, branded him as a lunatic. No such, no such thing, no such fanatics ever dreamed in that peaceful little island city that mortal tragedy was on the way to destroy them. And far above, a little silver object appeared. It was an American bomber. The noise was scarcely heard, scarcely noticeable above the din of the city's activity. And suddenly, without warning, the unexpected struck and hell descended from heaven. And the death and tragedy that struck Hiroshima that day will reverberate down through the history books of the coming generation. It was sudden, tragic, and instantaneous. 
That blast pronounced a tragedy for those poor souls on the receiving end of it. But it spelled victory for the Allied forces. The rapture of the church seemingly such as far-fetched doctrine by the millions of non-Bible readers will come as a stunning shock and surprise. It'll come in a moment in the twinkling of an eye like the falling of the bomb. And I said, it meant destruction. It spelled destruction and the end of the conflict for the people of Japan. Thank God it spelled victory for the Allied forces and for the soldiers and those that had participated. It meant that the war was over and they'd soon be going home to see loved ones they'd been away from for so very, very long. The return of the Lord Jesus Christ in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. It may mean judgment and it may mean tribulation for those that are left behind. But for the saints of God, as they go triumphantly up to meet our blessed Lord, it'll mean victory for them. It'll be the beginning of the spiritual dark age for the people who remain to go through the great tribulation. But it'll be a period of glorious rapture for those who are in Christ. It'll be the beginning of a new glorious day for the church of God. And the, and the start of the ending for Satan and his cohorts of sin. Three wonderful things will take place in the life of Christians in that moment. First, we shall all be changed. We shall all be changed. Well, won't, that be a, won't that be wonderful? In that magic instant, all of the faults and weaknesses and misunderstandings will vanish away. Some folks who have irked me and tempted me and tried me will be transformed in a moment into wonderful, flawless, winsome, maj majestic saints. Made over in his likeness, others will be thankful, I think, for the change in me. The little imperfections that are caused by the human in us will be taken away in that wonderful moment. We shall all be changed. Second, this corruptible must put on incorruption in that moment of spiritual transition. This body of ours so prone to sin, the body that we have now is marked by sin and touched with, and touched with corruption. Everything that flows from it is corruptible. When it's die, when we die, we're placed back in a grave in yonder. I might go yonder to the grave on top of the little hill overlooking the farm where I was born 72 years ago. I could go there today and uncap a grave and go down and perhaps find a handful of dust of my daddy who was buried there more than 50 years ago. But thank God in that, uh, in that handful of dust there is a seed. There is a germ that at the coming of my blessed Lord and the sound of the trumpet, that that body will be resurrected and become an incorruptible body. And it will be caught up to meet him in the air. And of course, if I'm alive and remain, I'll in a moment become immortal. This mortal body of mine will immediately become immortal. And I'll go sweeping up in this immortal body to meet the incorruptible ones, such as my mother, my father, my boy, 
And then as we go sweeping on, they'll look back to the grave that they've been released from and said, Grave, you didn't hold me. Thank God I came out of you. And I'll look back at old grinning death and said, Death, you didn't sting me. I got out of you. I said, Death, where is thy sting? And grave, where is thy victory? That's enough to put the shout of hallelujahs in your soul today. The body of ours prone to sin will undergo that wonderful transformation. Every saint will profess, will possess a glorified body of rapturous perfection. And the flesh will no more have dominion over us. And the temptation to sin, to become indifferent and wax proud and possess wealth, will vanish in a moment. (laughs) We'll enter a spiritual realm where the nature of Christ will rule and reign in every area of our lives. Please listen, listen, disease will be unknown. Thank God. No cancer, no arthritis, no tuberculosis. Hospitals will be unnecessary for the saints of God after the rapture. No more will, will we become weary and tired and have to sit and rest. No more, no more gazing at the clock while the preacher's exalting Christ. No more of that. This corrupt body, this corrupt body and mind will be completely changed and we'll have a being incapable of sin and evil. Third, death will be swallowed up in victory. Death is the enemy of the child of God. But after the rapture, the demon of death will be swallowed up by the angel of victory. No more will the crepe be placed on the doorknob of the saint. No more will the mortuary organ play slow music of the, as the bereaved walk by and view the last remains of some departed child of God. Death will be swallowed up in victory. No father, no father to, to bear our suddenness of the, his coming. Listen to father bear out the suddenness of his coming. Let us look at First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 2. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. A thief comes unexpectedly. So will Christ. A thief comes un, a thief comes usually, my friends, at night. So will Christ. We're talking about this being a glorious day. This isn't day at all. This is night. And it's been night for 1900 years. And the shades of evening are falling. The gathering clouds of doubt and unbelief indicate that the night is draweth nigh. And the end of this dispensation is near. The night cometh when no man can work is a scriptural statement. A thief comes silently and stealthily. Jesus' coming will be thief-like. He'll come and take his saint out of the world as a thief in the night. As a thief in the night. And second, the rapture will be selective. He said, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Only a select few will be caught up in the clouds. Only those who are in Christ. Nobody knows the number of people who will be saved in that day. But Jesus didn't encourage us to believe that everybody would go when he said, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And in the days of Noah... In the days of Noah, only eight souls were saved out of the millions of people who lived on the earth in the day of Noah's flood. 
Jesus tried, Jesus tried to warn us that the the comparative number that will be caught up will be few in proportion to the great population of the earth. He said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way and few that leads to life. And few there be that find it. It would be wistful thinking to reason that God would take everyone, every old dried up church member, every gambler that belonged to the church, every Tom, Dick, and Harry that made the slightest profession of religion. The average person would feel so out of home, out of place within the true, with the true saints of God in the glory that it would be a hell for this one to be in heaven. No, the rapture will be selective, strictly and only for those who are in Christ. To point out the selectivity of this great event, Jesus said, I call you in that night, there shall be two, I tell you in that night, there shall be two in one bed. The one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken, and the other left. The rapture will affect every branch of society. Two men in one bed represent the family relationship that will be severed. Two women at the mill show the social relationships that will be broken. Two in the field shows the industrial relationship that will be shattered and affected by his coming. Conceive of a drunken husband coming home from the tavern in the wee hours of the morning. Discover to his amazement that his Christian wife has disappeared. The bed has been slept in, but she is no more to be found, nowhere to be found. He calls again and again, but she does not answer. He searches every part of the house, but she does not answer. Finally, he goes to the neighbor to search for her, but they know nothing of her whereabouts. He goes back to his own companionless home and slumps into a drunken sleep and little realizing that the Christ, that Christ, the Christ his godly wife talks so much about has finally gone and read and raptured, as Christ has finally come and raptured her away. In that hour of Christian, uh, in that hour of Christian engineer will be whisked from the cabs of their engines and the uncontrolled train will Car with its cargo of death will plunge into the night of its tragic doom. Planes will, with pilots, will come spiraling to the earth, and with the affrighted passengers screaming their prayers of mercy to a God that they never prayed to before. Death and destruction will follow in the wake of the Lord's return. Carnal church members and worldly preachers will find to their delight that those folks whom they branded as narrow-minded and fanatical are missing in their services. Now they'll say we can run the church to suit ourselves. The prayer meeting will be no more. Revival meetings will have, that which have annoyed the worldly church members for years will be heard of no more. All religious restraint will be removed. And immorality and sensuality will be the motive for motivation force of the Christless church of that day. Evangelistic and missionary efforts will be unheard of. Gospel radio programs will be off the air, for all the leaders with a zeal for souls have been taken out of the world. In due time, the world will awaken to the terrible fact that Christ has come back to the world and taken his own away. Newspapers will be filled with the names of those missing from various cities. Soon the awful fact will dawn upon the, a previous unbelieving world that Jesus has really come. 
come, midnight gloom will settle down upon the world and all restraint will be removed. Homes will be broken and shattered. Immorality will flow like a tidal wave through the earth. Bitterness will surge in the hearts of the inhabitants of the, of the earth toward the God who judged them. And the spirit of the Antichrist will prevail in the souls of men. But for the Christian who has pierced the azure sky with his Lord, a new day is dawn. And from his vantage point in the heavenlies, perhaps he may witness all the suffering that transpires in the earth beneath. Once the Christian was looked down upon, now he's long last looked up to. There's will be said there will be several surprises in that great day. First, we'll be surprised to find that many people whom we had judged to be true Christians are present in the blood-washed throng. Listen, second, we'll be surprised that many missing whom we surely thought would be present in that great day. Third, we'll be surprised at the tremendous multitude of redeemed ones who are present in that day. The throng is innumerable. After this I behold and lo a great multitude which no man could number of ever, of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation is unto our God, which sitteth upon the throne and of the Lamb. Listen, my friends, the first time Jesus came to this world, the first time he came into his own, his own flesh and blood, they received him not. The second time he will come into his own, and they will receive him. Second, the third time he will claim, he will claim them and rapture them away, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Yes, the rapture of the church will be selective. The Christian is like a stranger in an alien land. This world is not his home. Christ will come as a thief in the night, transport the beloved to a place of safety where no wars can befall them. Third and last, the rapture will be the beginning of the saints' rewards. The Christian's reward is not this temporal life, but the promise of the future reward clearly taught in God's word. We are promised nothing but ridicule, scorn, and misunderstanding by the people of this world. We are pilgrims in an alien land and as strangers in a strange land. We are open to ridicule, abuse, and scorn when Christ comes for his own and raptures them away. Then the reward for service and faithfulness will be, will be distributed for the saved ones. Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. During the interval that the church is with the Lord in the heavenlies, a judgment will take place. It will not be a judgment, my friend, to determine who is saved or lost. It will be a judgment as to the works for their rewards. For their rewards, it will be bestowed at that time. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, you're going to, there are five things, got five crowns that he's going to give us. First of all, the crown of life. Blessed is he that endureth temptation or testing, for when he is tried at the judgment seat of Christ, he shall receive the crown of life. The reward might be called the martyr's reward. It's given as a reward to those who were faithful unto death. Thousands of Christians have been called upon to pay the supreme sacrifice in giving their very lives for their Christ. All of the early disciples were martyred except John the Revelator. During the various persecutions, Christians were slain by the sword, burned at the stake, boiled in oil, skinned alive, and torn asunder. These were the faithful unto death. 
But they'll wear the crown of life. They'll wear the crown of life, and then there'll be the crown of glory. When the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive the crown of glory that fadeth not away. The crown of glory will be given to the under-shepherds. The pastors will receive this reward. Not very much glamour or glory in this life and being a true shepherd of God's sheep. The world looks upon the Christian ministry as a pretty humble, low-paid task. But the the father who is faithful to the pastor, who is faithful to his ministry, there is a special reward, the crown of life. Paul, a faithful minister, buffeted, tested, and tried, was cheered by the thought of his reward when he said, and his reward, uh, I reckon that the suffering of this present time are nothing worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Then the crown of rejoicing, for what is our crown of rejoicing? To wear a crown of rejoicing and praise throughout eternity just to sit at his feet and let the sparkling gems of this crown show forth the praise of his glory. This crown might be called the soul winner's crown. I can look around in heaven and see those whom we have won to Christ. Certainly the soul winner will have a reason to rejoice throughout the countless ages of eternity. Then you're going to have the incorruptible crown. You're going to have the crown of righteousness. You're going to have the crown of righteousness. Listen, Jesus will change it all someday. The rewards of this world are subject to decay, deterioration, but this reward is eternal and will bring joy to the owner forever. Listen, my friend, I want to say this kind word when I look at this old world so filled with sin and pain. And when tear-filled eyes I see how wrong and evil reign, but the promises come to me as through my tears I pray that Jesus will change it someday. When the cruel hand of death removed a loved one's dear, and you walk the dreaded valley filled with doubt and fear, someday every tear of sadness he will kiss away, and Jesus will change it all someday. And there you have it. Let's bow our heads and we're going to have a word of prayer. And wherever you listen to this, why don't you make your, why don't you make your way to Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I come. Our Father, we pray that thou would bless this message today. May the Holy Spirit take it and use it and wherever it's heard, by, by record, anywhere across the nation or around the world, may thy name be glorified. And we'll keep looking up and looking for thee until you shall come. In Jesus' name we ask it and for his sake, amen and God bless you. Yeah.